Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast with Dr. Mike Roizen. That's me, your host. This is 1098B. The Bs are always great guests, and we have one that I'm really interested in today. If you've ever sat on a throne preparing for colonoscopy, you know some of the discomfort it can cause and some of the reason why people avoid colonoscopies um, as much as they do. But it's important as a way of preserving your health. And we have Dr. Joseph Jennings, J-E-N-N-I-N-G-S, who's a MedStar health gastroenterologist. He's actually the associate director of the MedStar Georgetown University Hospitals Gastroenterology Fellowship Program. Dr. Jennings, thanks very much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. Excited to talk about uh, colonoscopy and colon prep. That's great. And I should tell you, um, my, I've got to tell you my funniest story about a colon prep. One of our elder professors, Nobel Prize winners at the University of Chicago, who was 98 at the time, um, was undergoing a colonoscopy um, and was getting a bowel prep beforehand. Now you can say, well, that was kind of ridiculous. But in any case, he was undergoing it. And uh, I was sent in to help him tolerate um, the prep um, as he was going to get, uh, if you will, conscious sedation. And I was an anesthesiologist or practicing anesthesia at that time. And so I went to see him. And uh, I'll use the name Dr. Harper. Um, And I said, uh, uh, Dr. Harper, um, you're supposed to drink this stuff. It was the... Um, if you will, the liquid that one gets before the colonoscopy. And he said, Dr. Roizen, I said, yes. He said, um, you take that big container, which had um, the uh, Golightly solution diluted in it, and he said, I want you to take that. Um, and now this is a Nobel Prize winner, and he was 98. And he said, and go to that big white thing in the next room, which was the throne. And I said, uh, Dr. Harper, he said, didn't they tell you to do anything I asked for? And I said, they did, Dr. Harper. And he said, take that bucket, take that big container, and I want you to open the top. And I said, Dr. Harper, he said, they told you to tell what, do what I said? And I said, yes. And so I did open the top, and he said, now pour that into that big white container. I said, Dr. Harper. He said, didn't they tell you to do what I said? And I said, yes, Dr. Harper. And so now I'm a full professor and chair of a department this time, but nonetheless, I was to do anything the Nobel Prize winner, who was 98 at the time, said to do, so I did. And he said, Dr. Royson, do you know what we've just done? And I said, no, Dr. Harper. And he said, we've short-circuited the process. So, (laughs) now, that was the old days of Go Lightly, which was uh, both unpleasant to drink, and you had to have, I think it was, eight 12-ounce glasses of it before your 
colonoscopy prep and the new days where I guess you can get some pills now. What's the story on what the new prep is? Yeah, so you know, at the end of the day, the old way, the old milk gallon, the four liters of Go Lightly is still very, very effective. Uh, it's not fun, uh, but it gets the job done. And the, the current process, we've gotten better in ways to get less of the medication volume in and still get the similar effect. I think one important thing to know, though, though I think the hardest part about the Go Lightly or, or similar products and brands was that it was not only a large volume, but it was that chalky texture because of the, you know, we'll, we'll say the medicine, the inactive substance that actually works as the osmotic laxative was mixed in throughout. A lot of the advancements in volume uh, for these preps has been about making the, take kind of separating out the, the molecules or the substances that were going to actually cause the laxative effect. So that way you could take a really small volume, whether it's a couple of milliliters in the liquid versions of the prep or a, a couple of pills, as you were alluding to, and then be able to drink, whether it's water, whether it's some flavored sports drink, but, you know, have to drink a lot of fluid to catch, to catch up. So the, the main advancement here was taking those, you know, making these hyperosmolar um, products, whether it's a pill or a liquid, and then chasing it with liquid. And by separating that out, what used to be a very miserable, prolonged four liters of chalky fluid, now you take your pills, you take your, your very small concentrated liquid, and then you have the freedom to drink water, sports drinks, like I said, things that then can maintain their natural flavor and texture, which is far more enjoyable. At the end of the day, you still got to get a lot of fluid in because ultimately that's what we're doing here. We're going we're gonna to flush out the system and we don't want you to get dehydrated. But by separating things out and creating a new avenue to get that done, I think it opens the door for people who just really had a hard time with, like I said, the texture and the taste of when it was all mixed together. And let's go back. Why do we get this prep in the first place? Why do we get a colonoscopy? Sure. So we all have a baseline risk for colon cancer. Colon cancer is one of the most common cancers in current times. Thankfully, unlike other types of cancer, they colon cancer grows through a very well-documented known process. You have to have um, cells that eventually grow up into a polyp. And if you let that polyp grow for too long, eventually one of those cells can turn into a cancer cell and cancer spreads and grows and spreads and so forth. So we have a lot of steps in between, you know, a polyp popping up and getting to the cancer stage where we can find it, remove it and prevent cancer. A lot of other types of cancers don't give us that that opportunity, right? A lot of other screening modalities are all about just finding cancer early. Find it early because it's more treatable when it's early. We definitely want to do that with colon cancer. We want to find early colon cancer if you get it, but we have a tool, colonoscopy, that allows us to actually prevent colon cancer if we find those pre-malignant lesions called polyps or adenomatous polyps. So that's the main reason why we're doing it. The longer we all live, which is a great thing, the more time we give our colon to make polyps and make colon cancer. And so starting at age 45, what used to be age 50, but actually within the last two years, they've bumped the timeline down a little bit. Everybody who doesn't have a family history, who has no symptoms, should do something to get a better sense of what their risk for colon cancer is. And colonoscopy is our best test for that. People who have family histories and people who have symptoms, they kind of fall in different categories. But for the general run-of-the-mill people that I think we're talking about here, um, 45 is when we start looking. And all of this bowel preps colonoscopy, it's all in hopes of preventing colon cancer, 
finding early finding early colon cancer that can be curative either with the scope or with surgery, uh, or in cases that's a little bit more advanced, the, the sooner we find it, the better off the patient typically is. Now, let's go in and go back through a little of that that you went through in a little more detail. Um, and I should tell our audience, we're talking with Dr. Joseph J. Jennings, who's a physician, MedStar Health Gastroenterologist at the MedStar Georgetown University Hospital. He's the associate director of their fellowship program, meaning he teaches other gastroenterologists. Um, now, when you say we don't get the cancer right away, it first forms a polyp. Um, so how long does it take for the polyp to turn into a cancer, or and and basically, what causes the polyp in the first place? Yeah, so there's a number of things that cause the polyps. I think we could start there. So there's errors that accumulate as our cells divide, and so some of this is our genes. How likely in our family tree and our genetics is do we have genes that capture or get those cells before they start to make more critical errors that eventually turn into cancer? So there's a genetic component to it. There are obviously lifestyle and dietary dietary con contributors that we don't 100% understand, or more what I should say actually is they're not 100% contributable, right? So there are people who make every right dietary decision as far as we know with science. They eat beautiful veggie-heavy veggie diets, high-fiber diets, and they can get polyps and colon cancers, and there's people who make every wrong dietary decision and never get a polyp. So, but we do feel like there are some things like, you know, smoking, uh, type, certain ways of preparing meats, like smoked meats, processed meats, maybe red meat, all can play some role. But the exact power of those things is, is unclear at times. And then the biggest universal truth in how this happens is, again, the longer we're alive, the longer we have cells dividing and making new cells, the more opportunities we get for errors to happen. And the more errors that build up, eventually those errors might result in a mutation that eventually leads to a cancer. So that's like the genetic baseline of this, you know, that what's happening at the cellular level. And then the most typical pathway, those changes, again, take years to happen. And polyps, once, that, once enough of those abnormal cells bunch up and make a polyp that we could actually see, it still takes that polyp years to grow and divide. And maybe then it would make that turn from going, from becoming a benign precancerous polyp to actually having truly cancerous cells inside there and becoming a cancer. Uh, we don't know for sure which polyps will do that. When we see a polyp during a colonoscopy, there's nothing endoscopically that says, oh, this one may never actually turn into a colon cancer or this one definitely will. So we don't play the guessing game there. We take them out. We look at them under the microscope. and we. But most importantly, we take them out so that way they don't have that opportunity and have more time to grow accumulate more errors and eventually turn into a cancer. And so colonoscopy is the test that lets us not only find the smallest polyps, which can take years to develop again. So if we find them when they're really, really small, they're really easy to remove. It also allows us to do, do the removal process right then and there in one procedure. Now, someone has, when we announced you'd be on the show on our um, blog, someone asked, um, should I get Cologuard, which is apparently a test of the stool, the DNA in the stool, and is that as good as a colonoscopy, 
or if I have a polyp, should I get, which I did have, the, the person writes, should I get uh, Cologuard before every year and then just get the colonoscopy in the fifth year? So, yeah, so once you have a polyp, uh, true precancerous polyps, uh, since we've been using that word polyp interchangeably, we're really talking about the subtype of polyps that be, can become colon cancer, adenomatous polyps. But if you have a polyp, all the other options for what was screening for colon cancer are now not recommended. Colonoscopy in patients who have a history of colon polyps, have a history of colon cancer themselves, or have a family history of colon cancer, colonoscopy really is the only test they should be doing to stay in front of their colon cancer surveillance. Um, Cologuard, which is a, is, a, is a brand with a proprietary de- uh, um, technology that looks for blood and DNA and proteins in your stool that might suggest that you have a polyp or a colon cancer, is approved to, for average risk people for screening. So again, average risk meaning you've never had a polyp, you don't have any symptoms, and you don't have any family history of colon cancer. And if you have a reason why maybe you don't want a colonoscopy or medically it's not best for you to get a colonoscopy, Cologuard is a reasonable alternative for average risk screening. But once like in that question you're asking, that person who's already had a polyp themselves, there's no role there for using Cologuard anymore. They should stay on the, the timeline for their colonoscopy and only get more testing done in between those intervals if a new symptom comes up. Thank you very much. So let's go over where we've been. One is there are pills and pills and just plain old water that you can take in place of that horrible fluid I had and that Dr. Harper had me dispose of in the throne um, because it tasted so horrible and felt so horrible. Um, And that's a much easier prep. Secondly, um, that it is to be done at a younger age. I guess you've said uh, it starts at 35 or 10 years before a younger relative has had it. Yeah, it starts at 45. For average risk people, it starts at age 45. Family history, age 40 or 10 years earlier than your family member who got it. Um, But 45 for everybody else who doesn't have a family history. And uh, Colguard might be a reasonable screening tool for people who are at average risk, but once you've had a polyp, you you really do want to go with a colonoscopy. And the major point that I take from this, in addition to those, is that um, it takes time for polyps to grow into cancers. So by getting a colonoscopy, you're actually preventing the development of cancer, not just getting it at an early stage. Absolutely. That's- that's the real, you know, if there's a good thing about any type of cancer, the beauty here of colon cancer is that we have that opportunity to find it, get it before it is even a colon cancer and prevent it. And I think your, your point about the preps, you know, is, is that I think more so than which prep is easiest or hardest, the fact that we just have more options is great. So if you're someone who you know, wants to be able to pick and choose a little bit more and wants to be a little bit more control of that. We have so many different volumes, tastes, flavors, pills, no pills, that right now I think it's we're at a point where we can find something that fits what you feel you can do because ultimately the best bowel prep is the one that you're going to be able to complete 
you do completely. And so we have a lot of ways to meet the patients where they are instead of the old, you know, putting the milk jug by the bedside, like, like with your doctor and basically saying like, you know, bottoms up and, and, and chug, please. We've been talking with Dr. Joseph Jennings, thank you again, from a MedStar gastroenterologist who's the Associate Program Director um, for the gastrointestinal, um, if you will, hepatology program at Georgetown University's hospital. As usual, this is sponsored by Life's First Naturals. Life's First Naturals, you can see on their website, the double-blind studies showing the benefits of both true biotics for immune health and bovine colostrum for gastrointestinal health, preventing bloating and leaky gut from non-steroidals and from too much, if you will. I don't know, you can ever get too much, but from vigorous exercise. That's lifesfirstnaturals.com. Thank you very much, Dr. Jennings. And especially thank you, our listeners who've downloaded us. This is 1098B. Do tell your friends about us and do rate us weekly. Send information if you have questions to info at greatagereboot or questions at greatagereboot.com. And you can also send us topic suggestions again at greatagereboot.com. Thanks again. We'll be back next week.